because you can't build great culture when you're growing at speed. You just, it's, it's impossible because you can't hire enough people, people to create the frameworks and the processes and everything you need to fully sustain and support all the people that you're bringing on really quickly. You can do it pretty well, but I think a lot of things fall through the cracks because you're just focused so much on hyper growth. Hi everyone and welcome back for a new episode of All About HR. My name is Nelly, I'm your host and on today's episode I will be speaking with Noah Wada. Noah is the Chief People Officer at Gusto and we are going to talk about a very interesting and in my opinion important topic. More about that in a second. We are going to kick off straight away but before we do so, as always, don't forget to subscribe to our channel, hit that notification bell and like this video. Welcome to another episode of All About HR. Now, let me welcome Noah on the show. Hi there, Noah. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here, Nila. Yes, I'm very happy to have you, Noah. Perhaps um, before we kick off our conversation, you can tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and also about what you're doing at Gusto. For sure. Yeah. So as you said, I head up our people department at Gusto. And so we're an HR tech company. We specialize in employee recognition and uh, rewards. So a lot of what I do is really setting the culture, the foundation for at Gusto. Um, and as an HR tech company, we, we really feel that we need to be the, the cutting edge of culture. So, so setting um, you know, the, the best example for our clients, what it means to have a really great culture for an organization. So this is being transparent, having really forward-thinking policies, creating flexible work environments and really being a people first organization. And then a little bit about my background. Um, I come from a fairly untraditional HR background. Uh, I didn't go to school for this. I don't actually have a certification. I have a teaching degree. I should be an elementary school teacher. Um, and then I uh, started my sort of career in hospitality and started my own business in hospitality and then sort of transitioned into tech and then kind of just grew in this sort of realm and haven't looked back. Oh, wow. That is a very beautiful story, actually, Noah. From an elementary school teacher to like through uh, the hospitality industry, and then you ended up heading a people team in an HR tech company. And it's been a wild ride. Yeah, nice, though. Um, all right. Now, Noah, I mean, the reason that we got in touch was because I saw that you posted something on LinkedIn. And I think just to give our audience a little bit more context, I'll just read the first lines of that of that post, if that's okay with you, actually. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So every time I open LinkedIn, Twitter, the news or even Slack, I see another company announce another round of layoffs. And this is exactly what is wrong with the VC model of building companies. Too many founders and investors are not focused on building sustainable, revenue-driven, people-first organizations. They are focused on growth at all costs. And unfortunately for these organizations, their people become just a number during hard times. Yes. So I read this post, Noah, and um, I think as so many people right now, I've also seen um, these rounds of layoffs. 
And it also seems that they keep coming. So yeah, this this post did something to me in 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 a way, and I really felt like like talking to you about this and and about this topic more in general. But perhaps yeah, you can you can maybe also uh, explain a little bit more about why you posted it and what was your idea behind it. So. Gusto is the third tech company that I've kind of worked for in my formal HR career in tech. Um, the first one I worked for, we we did something similar to what a lot of companies right now. We raised our Series A, we burnt through it all, and then we had to lay off a bunch of people. Um, and it kind of opened my eyes to the problems with the VC model. And then and then I, I'm seeing this all happen again. Over and over again, and and one of the reasons I joined Gusto is because we're not a VC-backed company, and so I wanted to join something where a board wasn't the one telling the company how to run. The founders were more distracted creating board reports and board reviews once a month. They could solely just focus on building the company and building uh, culture, and so that's sort of where I joined Gusto. And so if we look at the past two years where we had this the pandemic hit and there's a bunch of layoffs and everything went kind of off kilter. And then we hit this unprecedented growth and people were raising rounds of money and all these companies were touting how great they were and all these benefits and everyone was talking about how they were people first. And then as soon as the hard times come, the first thing they do is they start laying people off. So I think it touched a nerve a little bit with me where I was like, it, it really, it upset me as a, as a people leader and an HR professional of like, there's a lot of companies that are positioning themselves as people first. They have these great benefits, these great perks, but they don't actually care. And the thing they do is they start laying people off. They're not talking about furloughs. They're not talking about reducing bonuses or removing bonuses. They're not talking about executive pay cuts. The first thing they do is lay people off. And I'm sure some companies are trying to do all those things. And there was a few people who shared stories in the comments of that post that they, there were companies that did those things and they did that at the beginning of the pandemic as well. And amazing. I love to see that, but I think the majority of companies, that's the first thing they went to is like, we're spending too much money. What's our biggest expense? Always payroll. And so let's cut that down. And it just kind of touched a nerve. And the thing is, is like a lot of, a lot of social media posts that people put up out there, they sit and craft them for hours and they get their marketing team to do that. This one, I kind of just shot it out there because I, I was just like, I've had it. Seeing all these posts about layoffs and people being devastated by it. And I feel like something needs to be said. Yeah. And uh, as one of the many people who read that post, I read it and it, it was, yeah, I could feel it. It was, it was uh, I think, something that came straight from your heart uh, without wanting to sound uh, too, uh, but that, that's how it came across. And, and I, I saw that it resonated very much because you got a lot of reactions and a lot of people, I don't know how many hundreds of comments you got, and I actually read through quite a big part of them. So it really resonated with people as well. If we maybe take a step back, Noah, for a second, um, and, and we look at the VC model of of building companies today what are some of the things in your opinion that are wrong with that model i mean we've just mentioned one of course yeah i think growth at all costs i think that's that's one of the biggest things i think the other part that frustrates me the most about the vc model is that i see these companies that they're not being smart about their problem solving the the thing that they do is they're just given a bunch of money and they just throw money at the problem and and they just continue to rely on outside funds and not really sustainable growth. 
they're not focusing on revenue, they're not client written. It's all about growing their numbers. <clears throat> and I think that's one of the biggest problems with the VC model. Mm. Because it rewards growth, it doesn't reward sustainable business models. And I think that's the biggest issue with the VC model. The other part of it is, I think you, you see the founders, especially younger founders, is that they're given all this money. They're told that they're super intelligent, their idea is the best, that they're going to change the industry. And so they kind of get this bit of a God complex going and so they have a hard time taking feedback because they've gone through this round of funding where everyone's told them, amazing, here's hundreds, tens of millions, whatever you want to call about it. But for that to happen to somebody, especially a younger person, it's hard not to get a little full of yourself. And then you've got HR professionals and people professionals who I hope, I hope, are the ones trying to be the canary in the coal mine saying, hey... This is not sustainable. It isn't working. We got to look at what's going to happen in the future. We're hiring too fast. Our culture is being devastated. And the founders are just like, no, I know what's best. I'm doing what's right. My board's table things that I'm doing right. Because the board just wants an exit. Mm. They don't really care about what's happening in that organization. They want a big exit because they want to make money on their investment. Yeah, the company is just an investment to them. It's not a group of people. It's another number. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that is very well put, actually. And so if if you look at it like that, perhaps these are actually two things that are not reconcilable, you know, because for them, it's an investment. It's not about people. So how can we then even build a company that is about people? Do you think that's even possible in that model? I do. Because hmm. I think there are some stand out examples that, that that can do this. Uh, and I think it's all about how the founders approach it. If a founder is going to raise VC capital, the best thing to do is to build a sustainable business that is revenue generating, that is, you know, doing all the kind of the right things. And then you go raise a round of capital and you're not beholden to the board in the same way. You don't have the pressure of having a big exit because you're still kind of the master of your company. You're owning that company. You're doing what you need to do. Um, but if you just raise money on an idea or an MVP, you really have to do what the board says because they own probably the majority of your company at this point. And so I think in that scenario where you're raising money really early and you're raising money to stay alive, then you probably won't be able to create a sustainable company. But I look at a company like One Password, Like they were pro profitable. Mm. They have grown really well and i think they've raised one maybe two rounds of funding so they're very much in control of the of their company i don't think the vcs are able to tell them what to do because they've proven they know what to do yeah so it's very much like i'm going to take money from you to accelerate things but i'm going to do it my way and the investors are like yeah i want to be part of this because look how much profit you're making and then i think in that case the vcs may not be looking for exit they might be looking for profits based off of their investments. So getting, you know, dividends or, or kickbacks or whatever you want to call it. That is a positive thing to keep in mind, even though it might be a rare occurrence uh, for now. Yeah, uh, I, th I think it is possible. <laughs> Good. Nice to know. Noah, if we look at the role of HR and hiring managers in this, and within this, I mean, uh, specifically in, you know, when they are trying to find people to join the company, do you see a role for them in being more transparent upfront about what to expect from working in 
most of the VC-backed companies. And by and by that, I mean, um, you know, if the goal is just to exit in three, four years, perhaps they should already be transparent about that. What are your thoughts on this? I Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the more transparent you can be in the hiring process and talking to candidates, better. We've hired a lot of young people at Gusto. We give equity within our company, but we give people a choice when, when we give an offer. We say, here's option A, which is your base, your bonus, and your equity. And here's option two, which is your base, your bonus, and extra base if you don't want equity, because we know not everyone wants that, and not every startup is successful, and so on and so forth. Mm. And then we do a very large presentation on the pros and cons of equity, the upsides and the downsides, the risks, and what it all means. And we are fully disclosed, you know, how long the cliff is, how long the vesting period is, how long the execution date is if you leave the organization and sort of like what the tax implications are if you execute on those shares after you, you leave the organization. And so I think having those very upfront conversations about equity is and what it isn't. And though it is a very, very risky thing to do and that, I think a lot of companies still do this where they talk about equity as almost like cash, mm. especially for the startup world, which it is, it isn't. It's, it's worthless until a company exits or IPOs or does whatever. And we know that 1% of companies actually get there. And so you're, it's really a lottery ticket. And that's what we tell people is that this is equity. It's a lottery ticket and you should treat it as shut. And so if you have the ability to do that, then I recommend taking this. But if you don't, if you need cash now, here's another option for you. And I think it would be better served if more companies took this transparent educational approach to what equity is. And also, as you mentioned, kind of what the roadmap is. Like, what is the goal of this company? Are we going to exit? Are we going to IPO? Are we just looking for profitability and to grow sustainably? And, you know, different people will want different things. And so it's it's really about letting them make an educated decision. I really dislike the, like, we're on a rocket ship and we're going to change the world and you're going to make it big by staying here. That very rarely happens. Yeah, I so agree. And I actually love how you guys have these options, actually, for, for people to choose from at, at Gusto. Because, yes, not every but he is necessarily interested in the equity option. So it's really uh, it's really nice that they actually can choose the option not to go for the equity. Um, but very important here as well, uh, at least they are enabled to make an informed decision about it as well. And they're not believing that the equity is going to be their golden lottery ticket or anything. No, but I mean, sometimes I think people do think that that's the case when it's not. And then, yes, as well about what is the plan for the company. So not really that long ago, I was talking with somebody who was seeing if I was interested in joining uh, in joining their company and so he there was also a VC-backed company and he said like okay yeah so we just got we just got a round of funding now the plan is to just burn all that cash next year we have the next round so I was already thinking hmm, okay and then he said yeah and in three years we want to exit I was like I don't really want to work in a for a place. Well, first of all, I wasn't really uh, interested to to join that company uh, in the first place. But then still, I do not want to work for a company personally, uh, that um, which only goal is to exit in two or three years. Because then I'm I feel like I will be building something together with people in the company, and I would be putting like blood, sweat, and sweat and tears in it for what? Just for it to well, so to speak, go to waste in two three years. I don't really see the point of that, but maybe there are people who are perfectly happy doing that. But at least I think this is something that people should know before they join, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think that more and more people are looking for that purpose in their work. And if the purpose is to 
exit in three years. Um, and it's like, okay, sure. But I think you also have to educate people on eventuality that their employee options will actually pay out. Because if you've raised a Series C or a Series D, the likelihood that an employee will actually get paid out is pretty low. You have to like really sell for a lot mm -hmm. if the employees are going to get paid out because every investor and the founder are all going to get paid out before those employees. I think that's another piece of the puzzle that is very rarely talked about is like the what preferential shares actually mean and what they look like and who's going to get paid first and second and third and last. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Noah, so um, yes, um, we, we, we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that, you know, a lot of these VC-backed companies, they're not necessarily people first, sustainable and, and revenue driven. Um, but maybe we can talk for a moment about how could they become more people first and sustainable and, and revenue driven. What are your thoughts on that? I think the growth at all cost model is the part that really, really doesn't work with a people first organization because you can't build great culture when you're growing at speed. You just, it's, it's impossible because you can't hire enough people, people to create the frameworks and the processes and everything you need to fully sustain and support all the people that you're bringing on really quickly. You can do it pretty well, but I think a lot of things fall through the cracks because you're just focused so much on hyper growth and you can see it in retention numbers in companies that are generally hyper growth focused. The retention numbers are generally not that great. And I think that companies that focus on more sustainable growth and, you know, that might go through a hiring sprint and then a cool down period where they allow the team to kind of like mesh and work together and build relationships and then go through another hiring sprint. I think those companies are better set up for success because you build resiliency and relationships and trust within the organization. I think having that sort of model doesn't always work well with a VC's board model, which is growth at all costs. And I think there's this other strange thing that we see on uh, job posts and LinkedIn, which is like, in the past six months, we've hired 300 people. It's like, I don't know if I want to work for a company that's, that's done that because it's probably just chaos. And at best, it's organized chaos. And you talk to people who onboard with these companies and they're like, yeah, no one knew what was going on. I might have gotten my like onboard, onboarding package one with my laptop and all that kind of stuff and had a buddy, but that buddy's only been there for six months. Mm. And so they can't even answer all my questions. Um, and so you, you have this kind of like perpetual feedback loop of like, it just doesn't work very well. And also people teams are generally under-resourced in those organizations where you've got like one HR personal person per 100, 200 employees. Yeah. There's no way you can support that many people sustainably and well. At that point, you're really just like surface level making sure that the house isn't burning down. Yeah. You're not actually building relationships with people in the organization. No, 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 definitely not. No, we recently spoke on a podcast with somebody and she was also mentioning this, not in this context, but she was mentioning that some companies, they have one HR person. Uh, and then I think not even just on 100 or 200 people, but sometimes even more. Um, it's impossible then to take care of every single uh, person, let alone of all the people in the organization. It's just not something that is that is feasible. No, no, you need to like... Like we, we are, you know, in the, in the fifties, we have two people, people, 
that's one for 25 employees. And we're able to have touch points, like two solid touch points per point with every employee in the organization. And as we scale the organization, we will continue to try and uphold that ratio of one people person per 25, 30 employees. Because I think that's important because if employees feel that HR and the people team is on their side, there to support them and has positive meetings and positive relationships with the HR team, their retention rate skyrockets. I was listening to a podcast and it was really interesting to hear that, I can't remember his name, but he was one of the lead data scientists for Gallup. And they found that the two main predictors of retention were, it was 51% manager relationship and 49% HR relationship. So if an employee has a really great relationship with HR and an okay relationship with their manager, that's like a 75% rate that they'll stay. If they have a good relationship with both, they're in that 90 to 100% rate to, to, to stay with the organization. So it's really important that HR also builds these sustainable relationships with employees across the organization. HR needs to elevate themselves as uh, just as competent and just as important as every other business function. Mm. So they need to be using data to make the, to make the decision. They need to be more involved. They need to think about business and strategy and people all holistically. And I think a lot of HR, especially traditional HR and corporate HR, have been clients focused. How do we not get sued? How do we make sure that uh, we follow the letter of the law? And that's their job. And that's a very important function of HR, but it's a, it's a function of HR. It should not be their whole focus. I think the future of HR, which is, I think it is happening now, the evolution of HR is really more about, there's, there's multiple pieces of it. There's, there's that compliance part, but there's also talent acquisition. There's employee engagement, there's uh, DE&I, there's, there's employee experience, there's candidate experience, there's retention, there's, and, and then there's revenue as well, is that HR has always been looked at as this revenue suck. Mm. It just costs money. I think we need to flip that on its head because HR brings in people and keeps them there. So they're actually the main revenue generating function of a business because they're the ones that bring in the people and keep them in the co-organization so they can do their jobs to generate the revenue. So like we're only a few steps back, but I think that mentality that HR just costs money needs to change, whereas HR is actually the main revenue generating function of an organization. HR, because we're so far removed from it, it's hard to really connect that revenue dots but if you really look at retention rates and productivity rates and really, really take a more data-focused approach to HR and people, you can kind of start tying all that kind of together. And I think that's, that's where the evolution of HR is moving towards, is, is more of a business function and less of this compliancy, touchy-feely thing. And there's actually just a, a really terrible approach by, uh, uh, I mean, post on Twitter and links from Sherm. So um, they were asking HR professionals how they are an HR diva. It is exclusatory. It, it undermines what HR is trying to do and makes it the office mom again. And so it was just eviscerated on LinkedIn and Twitter. Yeah. And so many people were just like, this is terrible. How can you certify HR professionals 
and make a post like this. And so I think that is telling in where HR is going is people are like, no, this isn't who we are anymore. We are just as important as everyone else. And we are professionals that approach business strategy the same way as your CFO mm. and your CRO and your CMO and your CTO. The CPO is at the same playing field and it's starting to be paid at the same playing field as well. Founders held a lot of responsibility in this as well. And I think I, I touched on this a little bit in one of my earlier answers of like, I think if the founders focused more on building that initial revenue generating model of their company and then raised money, they would have a bit more of that people first approach and realize that revenue is the goal, not just growth. I think the problem is that in our current climate, and like you said, that like a lot of people are just looking for that lottery ticket. A lot of founders are looking for that lottery ticket. And you're getting people like straight out of university who have actually never held a real job as founders. And then they try and run a company. And I think that is a big problem. And their board is not doing them any favors by telling them how great they are and to just focus on growth because it's not sustainable. And then these, these founders don't listen to the canary in the coal mine, whether that's HR or a more seasoned executive or whomever, they just kind of pull forward and do whatever they think is right. I think the general message from VCs needs to change as well because you have these people coming on university and they're just being inundated by this message of like grow, sell. And then, you know, you get to be the kind of the newest tech star who gets to be a Twitter celebrity and talk about how amazing their success is because they sold a company to a company for X millions of dollars. So I think there, there needs to be that mentality shift. Thank you, Noah, for that, uh, for that answer. Now, we are going to slightly change tech here because unfortunately we might continue to see more companies lay off people in the months to come but i was still hoping to maybe give the people in the audience a bit of a maybe some tips especially if they find themselves in the people teams in in these kinds of companies maybe um, they can play or try to play a more active role in steering these uh, vc-backed companies towards alternative options rather than immediately uh, going to the option of letting people go. Do you think that's possible, first of all? And second of all, how would that be possible? I think it is possible. I think like it, we saw some examples of it in the comments of that LinkedIn post that I put out. And so I think it's de it is definitely possible. I think HR's role is needing to be proactive, is looking forward and seeing, okay, is this sustainable? Can we keep doing this? You know, we look at society in general, it's kind of in chaos. There's a war going on in Europe. There's a lot of dysfunction going on in the United States. There's a lot of things happening all over the world and that can't be sustainable. So you need to be a little bit more proactive and looking at things. And there are lots of ways to cut costs without laying people off. Mm. And I talked about a couple of them in that post, which is furloughs, unpaid furloughs. So asking everyone to take a couple unpaid weeks off or four weeks off or whatever it looks like and working with your finance team to figure that out. I think that partnership needs to happen between HR and finance. Mm. And so looking at finance being like, hey, this is where we are. This, these are our revenue goals for the, the year. At what point do we need to start cutting costs? And what are the different levels of cutting costs? And how can we do that in other ways without actually hurting people? 
And I think that partnership in that conversation needs to happen sooner rather than later. And I think a lot of companies also have a lot of tech and subscriptions and things that they're paying for that they, they probably don't need to pay for or could reduce and move down to the lower tier or whatever. So I think you need to take a kind of a really holistic approach of like, okay, what tech do we have? What is a must have? What is a nice to have? Stop approving new tech <laughs> unless it's absolutely necessary. Look at bonuses. Can we cut all those bonuses? Talk to the executive team and look at what teams and what levels of seniority are costing the most amount of money. And those people about taking pay cuts and furloughs and all those things and what, what can save the company the most amount of money. Mm. There's a, I think there's a lot of things that you can do without laying people off. And I shared a couple of examples in my post as well of companies that did this. And I think it, if you do it well and you bring the company together, you can create a culture that is so strong. And when you come out on the other end of this, your company is positioned so, so much better than your competition because you haven't lost all of that intelligence and all that industry knowledge in your organization like all of your competitors have by laying people off. So when you come out of the recession, you're just poised to do so well and have so much more success and outrun your competition. Yeah, it's like it's like people in a marriage, right? When they go through a rough patch and when they actually manage to come out of it, then they're they're stronger than than ever. And it's the same with this. If mm -hmm. you manage to go through a period like that as a company and you manage to keep uh, your people, that that will create such a strong bond that afterwards they'll they'll be able to to take on anything. I think that yeah. is the positive side of it. Well, it, it builds so much trust within the, within the organization, between leadership and the whole organization. Trust, I really believe, is one of the biggest definers of a successful company. If you have a lot of trust within your organization, you will be successful. Oh, 100%. And, but, and I think the topic trust in itself warrants uh, for, for an entire episode, <laughs> uh, at least. But yeah, I, I do uh, totally agree with you on that one. Now, Noah, this is a, a, a let's say, a bit of a lighter part of, of our podcast. And it's where I, I get to ask my guests a few things. Uh, the first one being, what do you believe is the biggest cliche that exists about HR? <laughs> There's a few, for sure. I think the biggest cliche about HR is that they're like the rule enforcer. They're there to just tell you what you can and cannot do. I like the classic example is like when we were still in offices, everybody sitting in the uh, like the break room, having lunch, chatting, having a good time. HR walks in and it goes silent. <laughs> and it's like, oh, HR is here, stop talking. I think that is, unfortunately, that cliche exists for a reason, but I think it's changing. And I think a lot of companies aren't like that anymore, but I think it still exists. I mean, you watch The Office and it's 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 that exactly. That is the biggest cliche of the HR. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and then the other thing that I always like to ask is what is an epic fail and an epic win that you would like to share? So let's start with my fail. So when I was in the hospitality industry, so this was before tech and I've failed a ton. I fail every day. I make mistakes. And one of the things I love about Gusto is that we talk about that openly. And I think that's that's a, that's a nice thing about our culture. But when I was in the hospitality industry, I was trying to open up my own restaurant. I had a partner who's a chef. We had a business model. We had proved it successful. We were we were running for the hills. We were doing great. And then we decided to bring on some investors. That was my biggest mistake. We talked to these investors. They wanted a big chunk of the company. And this was when I was pretty young. Like I was in my early 20s. And 
we got to the point where, you know, I was ready to sign a lease. I've been buying equipment. I had a contractor who was purchasing materials and it was all ready to go. And these, these investors had convinced, convinced me not to take a bank loan, not to do all these things. And I was like, all right, you just need to sign the, the forms, give me the money and then I can start, I can sign my lease and we can start doing all the things that we need to do. And they said, mm, we've changed our mind. And so at that point I was out of pocket, like, 10, 20 grand. And it was just like, there was nothing I could do. I had no legal recourse. I couldn't do anything. And so that was the, it was a, a major learning moment. And it's one of the reasons that I got into tech. I had this knowledge of what investors do to companies. Some Sometimes it hurt when it happened for sure. I imagine. Yeah. 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 And so I, I had to kind of give up on that dream of owning my own restaurant, which in hindsight was probably a good thing because... <laughs> Oh, running in a restaurant is a labor of love. It's not a labor. You don't make a lot of money and it's really hard. And I think the pandemic showed us that it's even more difficult for so many reasons. Mm, yeah, absolutely. But who knows? Maybe one day, Noah, you know, in the next life. Get my tech lottery ticket. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? And um, is there also an epic win that you'd like to share with us? One of the biggest wins that I have, even though I'm not part of it anymore, I helped co-found a company called Battlesnake. And this started at one of the first companies I worked at where I was really, we took a community event for developers to get together and just have a good time and do some programming and learn. And we built that company. So I went on to found this company and we were able to grow, to grow it, do all these things. And then the pandemic hit. But I think that's one of my biggest and proudest moments is that I, I took this thing that was started as 50 developers in an office doing to to what has become thousands of developers across the world programming and learning together and it's actually like a really wholesome tech community which doesn't happen a lot a lot of tech communities can become very toxic mm. and this one is very open it's very welcoming and it's all about learning together it's not about who's the best there is a competition element to it, but it's more about teaching each other, learning new skills. So I think that's one of the proudest things that I, I've done as well in my career. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally understand because that, that sounds like a beautiful win. So, uh, so thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you. My kids are definitely the most proudest thing I've ever done. Um, and they're, you know, they, they're also... They teach me every day and they're my biggest win in life for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. Noah, so that brings us already to the end of our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today and thank you for talking to me about this topic. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I think this conversation needs to be happening more often at all levels. Yeah, absolutely agree. So, you know, we might do a second one at some point. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in today. Uh, thank you so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And if you did, don't forget, subscribe to the channel, hit that notification bell, and share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Thank you, and see you soon for a new episode. Goodbye. <laughs>